You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. And here we are on Easter. And this is the time of year for us to think about the resurrection and the hope that we have in the resurrection. I shared with the crowd last week that we believe that the resurrection is a a historical reality, that it happened. We believe that one day we are going to share in that resurrection life and be with Jesus forever in heaven. Amen? Amen? But we're also convinced that the power of the resurrection is something that we can experience today. And as we look to the book of Philippians, Paul has, for lack of a better term, I'd say, a practical take on resurrection. And I thought that today, that's exactly what we would do, is continue in that theme in terms of what does the resurrection of Jesus mean for me today? And what I want to tell you is this, the resurrection provides us the hope that you, that we cannot live without And so if you have your copy of Scripture, if you will, please stand with me as we stand on the solid rock of God's holy word. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 17, and we're just going to go down to verse 21. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But notice verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray. Lord, we pray uh, that you will subject us to yourself, that we will be humble uh, in our hearts today as we hear your word. And we pray, Lord, that any person in this room today who is lacking hope, that is missing that encouragement that they need in their lives, whatever that means in whatever place it is, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you will fill their hearts with hope this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. People who don't give up, they don't give up because they have hope. Hope is a powerful, powerful thing in this world. I believe that hope is as essential as food and water. In fact, my premise this morning is this, hope is the food and water of our souls. So if we think about it in those terms, if we're going to have souls that are strong. We need hope, and we need a hope that comes from Scripture. I know that as we think about our our mind and our hearts as the center of our emotions, that, that is true, but it seems to me the soul sort of fits both of those. Those ideas of our, our mind, yes, Our spirit, yes, but it's our soul that needs the encouragement, I think, that the Word of God has for us today. In fact, I want us to think of it as fuel, because food and water, in a sense, is is like fuel. And so we want to think about hope as as a fuel for our souls. Not too long ago, I was driving up north. I was going up to Chicago to visit my daughter, and we went to one of those gas stations now that's the size of a small metropolitan city. Have you seen these things? Wallies and Buckies and 
I don't know, there's these, you know, there's these crazy like chipmunks selling me gasoline. It's really interesting. The world has changed, and I'm not sure it's for the better. But anyway, I, I drive up, and you know, I'm old-fashioned enough that uh, I'm thinking, you know, like two grades of gas seem to be enough. And you know, there's diesel, and you don't use that, right? But, but there's like six different varieties. It's a little confusing. And the truth is, is they all have different octane and they're not all the same quality. I want you to get that in your mind because in this world, there are many promises of hope. There are several ways that those in the world around us, even people we love and admire sometimes, they're trying to help us find hope, which isn't a bad thing, but we need to realize that not all hope is the same thing or equal. You know, as I was thinking about it, I was reading some, I ran across this article in Christianity Today from a a year ago, and this lady had this wonderful comment. She said, you know, too many of us as Christians, our view of hope is kind of like the picture of your kid on their birthday with the candles ablaze on top of uh, of the cake, making a wish, and, and that's kind of how we think of hope. And if that's your definition of hope and you're like me, I never got the pony. (laughs) You know, like 10 years, you you pray for a pony and when you live in town, guess what? You don't get a pony. So if that's your take on hope, kind of like blowing out the birthday candles and knowing you're not going to get it, that doesn't sound like very good hope. That sounds like uh, the little chipmunk gave you some bad gasoline, okay? I mean, seriously, we need something better than that. And I'm here to tell you that God's word has something better for us. We don't need any kind of junk food hope, if you don't mind me mixing metaphors a little bit. We need something more solid. We need something that's more true. And God's word has that for us. I I think we can all admit that the reality in this world is, is that things are always changing. Like, for instance, the price of milk, bread, and eggs went up 9% last month. You know, come on. 8.6, but who's counting, right? Yeah, you are. Yeah, money out of your wallet. Things are always changing. And in a world that's always changing, we know that that change is going to involve us someday. And one day, we're not going to be here. Once again, the question is, do we have hope? Do we have a hope that remains? Do we have the kind of hope that Paul is going to share with us? I believe that Paul has an answer for us, and it's connected to Easter, and it's connected to the hope we have in resurrection life. And so let me ask you this question, all right? And this is so important for everybody in this room, whether you are a professing Christian or a seeker of truth, no matter where you are on the spectrum, let me ask this question, is your hope anchored in this world? If your hope is anchored in this world, then I really want you to listen well because God's word has something better for all of us, Uh, a, a hope that is truly something more than this world can proffer, something better, something that can radically transform our existence. And so let's take a look at the text together. And the first thing we see here in verses 17, 18, and 19 is the call out of darkness. Now, as I was making some notes yesterday, I thought, you know, I'm going to add two words to this, not just the call out of darkness, but the call out of darkness and comfort. 
And I want you just to hold on to those two words, or at least that one word, comfort. I want you to think about that just a little bit here in a moment. But let's talk about why we need the hope of Jesus. And I think it's subtly implied here in verses 17, 18, and 19. We know the gospel tells us, Jesus tells us, that he is the light of the world. And every Christian knows that we're called to follow Jesus. And if we're following Jesus, we follow his, his example of compassion and service. If you're doing that, then you get to be a part of that light in the world. You get the opportunity. You have the opportunity to share the light of Jesus with the world. But I think it's fair to say that all of us as believers, and many of you in this room would admit that from time to time we fall short in this area. We're not able to serve the Lord as we could or ought to. And sometimes it seems like as we walk with Jesus, there are times when it feels like we're walking back into the darkness. When I was a young man, I can remember people going to the altar pretty regularly and there was a word called backsliding. Do you remember that, that, that phrase? Of all the hyphenated words, that's not a good one, is it? You know, backsliding. That means that you're not gravitating more towards light, but you're falling back more into darkness. Hey, it happens. These things happen. And many times the reason why we're falling back into darkness is because we're not standing on the promises of God. We are beginning to go back to those hopes from our past, and we're forgetting the hope that Christ has given us in the present and for the future. Now, one thing I notice here in the text is, is that Paul likes to tell people to imitate him. Notice this, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, he is not, uh, to his credit, saying he's the only guy to watch. He's not saying he's the only show in town. What he's saying is, is that anybody who is following Christ well, anybody else that's a good example, follow them. But let's talk about Paul for a minute because he's the one writing this. Paul was a man who, if we just go on his past, he would not be the kind of person that we would say should be copied or emulated. He was a radical person. He had a radicalized kind of faith in a negative sense. And at one time in his life, he persecuted the church of Jesus Christ and even unto death. I, I think he probably had some blood on his hands. We don't know all the details. But if we want to talk about somebody who had a past, I think we could say Paul had a past. And yet, a man with a past is saying in the present, follow or imitate me. Now, here's what we need to realize. As, as we come out of the darkness, we can become a beautiful example to the world of what God can do. The world needs to see what God can do through you. And here's what makes me so happy. God uses broken people, flawed people, and people with a past, just like Paul, just like me, just like you. If we make the choice to walk out of the darkness, then our present does not have to be defined by our past. And let's pause parenthetically and say this. Many of us are not living in the fullness of gospel hope because we know we have sinned in the past and the devil wants to keep us locked into our past, always remembering our failures. But we believe that on Good Friday, Jesus died on the cross and he was nailed to a cross and so were your sins.
That means, brothers and sisters, that when you hear that voice saying that people shouldn't follow you or imitate you because the devil says, remember what you did and remember who you were, you remind him that he is speaking in the past tense because who you are is in Christ. Philippians is all about being in Christ. It's two of the most beautiful words, the simple preposition in and the proper noun Christ. We are in Christ. And when we are in Christ, that means in the moment, we not only experience hope, but we can dish it out. Some of us are pretty good at dishing out sarcasm and silliness, but how about we start dishing out some resurrection hope, amen? Hey, I like, I like it when people are, are having fun, but I'm telling you, there's nothing more fun than seeing people embrace the gospel and walk out of the darkness and begin to live for Jesus. That's real fun. And I'm just here to tell you, I'm crazy enough to believe that it's time for the church to have a radical awakening in this way, that we are so full of hope and the light of the gospel is shining out from us that people just don't know what to do with us except for join us. And the reason why so many people don't seem to want to join the church and be a part of the Christian movement is because they haven't seen hope. They see us seeking after, searching for the hopes of this world, and they say, well, I can do that and not have to listen to a guy yell at me on Sunday mornings. And that may be true in one sense, but I'm here to tell you there's so much more to this. There's the fellowship. There is, there is worship. There is the beauty of, of God flowing through us. Paul is telling us to seek something better than we have known. And I just want you to know, here, here's a message of hope. I don't care who you are and how good your life is right now. I genuinely believe that God has something better for you. And the reason I know that is, is that he defeated death. We're going to talk about that here in a moment. He rose from the grave. And if he would do that, then he has something really, really good for you. Take a look at that word example in our text. It says right there, according to the example you have in us. This word's important because it, it points out a problem I think we, we often have in the church. Because Christianity was never meant to be a surface-only endeavor. Okay? I, here, let me put it to you this way. Christianity is not a scratch in the paint, but it should put a big dent in who you are. It should alter you. Usually a dent is bad, but here's where a dent that you need really bad. We need more than just surface level Christianity. We need to be in Christ. We need to be full of Christ. We need to pour forth Christ. Are you getting it? So the word example. It's the word picture of a wax seal pressing into the wax. And you know what that does, right? It goes deep into the wax, and the wax kind of comes up, and the, and the impression is deep inside. And we believe that when the resurrection hope of Jesus truly gets a hold of you, it makes a deep impression. And when that deep impression is on you, listen, God begins to do amazing things in you. He will bring your mind alive to the truths of the gospel. He will strengthen your arms and legs to be the gospel in service. He will give you compassion when before you had only enough compassion to put in a thimble. Ask your grandma what that is. But anyway, <laughs> we can have so much more when we have the hope of Jesus pressing into us. 
But there's a warning in this passage, and you know, it's always like, you know, when, when I'm preaching a, a message, and I know we're going to have a lot of guests, you know, trying to keep it positive. And even as I was reading it, I was like, well, Jeremy, there you go. Verse 18, for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. What's that about? Well, it's a sad reality that we have to deal with because not only are there people who claim to be Christians and only have a surface level, let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they are believers, but there are some people that are in the church that the gospel really hasn't made an impression on at all. And the reason that I know that is is because there are those who would say, well, I kind of like Jesus' teachings and I like some things about Christianity, but I just don't really think the cross is for me. I just don't believe in, in um, you know, sin to that level or that, that, that a good man should so, uh, so unjustly die. Let me just say this. There is no middle ground with the cross. It was never intended to be a middle ground subject. And, and so, so take this not as Pastor Jeremy's thoughts, but this is just the word of God. We are, either, we are either saved by the cross or we can be enemies of the cross. And so Paul is saying that there are people in the church that are, are not uh, looking to the cross for their salvation. The reason I know this is true is because he speaks of these enemies of the cross and says he has tears in his eyes. Paul would have not had tears in his eyes for non-believers who didn't believe in that because that's what non-believers do. They don't believe in the cross, but there are those in the church so here's the, the warning shot to all of us, and I, I don't want it to be any more than that. We have to be careful. We have to ask ourselves the question, is the hope of the resurrection and is the gospel of Jesus Christ imprinted deeply on us? And I want to say to you, Ridgecrest, listen to me. My heart is that we won't just be another church going through the motions, but I want us to have a deep impression of Christ. I want it to so transform who we are that it does cause us to stand out for the glory of the kingdom of God. Our faith is rich and beautiful and deep, and we want to share that with the world Throughout the centuries, there have been those who have challenged the cross, but we're not going to lessen the cross here. True Christianity celebrates the old rugged tree as the most terrible and yet most beautiful thing in this fallen world. If you know Jesus, you know that the cross, as gory as it is in one way, is glorious because of what it means for you. And if you look in verse 19, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Let me say this, to be a Christian means that we have a desire for a better city and a better way than the world. Notice the very selfish and sensual ways of those who reject the cross. Their God is their belly. Earthly things are in their purview, and destruction is their future. We must, dear church, hear this, not just profess the cross, we must be conformed to it. The world needs to see us sacrificing. If we are not conformed to the cross, we become an enemy of the cross and a friend to darkness. And the world today is calloused and cold. They are not going to be impressed, church, unless we have the gospel deep inside of us. 
We need to be a people who are changed. And let me take you back to Philippians 3.10. If you have your copy of scripture, we read this last week, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Let me just ask you, do you have a whatever-it-takes attitude in anything in life? Are you the kind of person that says, no matter what it takes, I'm going to get that promotion, or I'm going to achieve that goal in my running or in my sport, whatever it is, if you're that kind of person and you can understand that i got to have the A, can't settle even for an A-, minus, whatever it is that you're striving for in terms of excellence, that's the kind of striving that Paul is telling us we must have for Jesus. And I know that many of us, I know that at many times in my life, that's not the case. I'm yearning for something in this world. I'm longing for something in this world. But church, listen to me. It's not just enough that we walk out of darkness. I think the church today, if we're going to be effective in a war-torn world, we have to be willing to walk away from comfort. Remember that word I said earlier? Comfort. How can the church in America today enjoy so much comfort when so many in the world are uncomfortable? The church must not grow comfortable when so many are uncomfortable. People today, especially younger people, they've been taught that justice is a key concept, and it is. We understand justice connects to the cross, that the ultimate example of what looks like an injustice turns out to be the greatest justice of all because God understands our suffering and pain. We know that in the cross. But I want to challenge you, each of you here today, it is my conviction that Ridgecrest and all strong evangelical churches, we have to say, look, we've been given some great comforts here, and we're very thankful for that. But we are not going to just rest in our comforts. We're not just going to have a mentality and a mindset of making things better for us. It's not about pleasing the flesh. It's about honoring Christ, being filled with the Spirit. And I'm here to tell you, as long as there are suffering people in this world, we need to be the sort of church that will get uncomfortable so that others can be comfortable that we will give and we will go and we will be filled with grace. The church today needs to be strong like this because the world is aching and hurting. We walk out of darkness, but we also walk from our comforts so that we can be sacrificial as Christ was. We share in his sufferings. That is the Christian hope, believe it or not. We can share in his sufferings and bring hope to the nations. One more point, and that is just the Christian hope. You know, it wasn't too long ago, and I'm not saying this just because he's in the room. Pastor Hosey's in the room with us, and those who were in the first service know I said it in the first service too. I was at a funeral service he did uh, probably over a year ago, and, and every once in a while, uh, you'll, you'll hear a funeral sermon and somebody will talk about heaven and you feel like you were just there at the gate. 
You feel the power of our faith and to know that there's this place called heaven. And one time I remember Hosey was preaching and I heard that and I, it just, it hit me because it was so refreshing. And it reminded me that that's one thing that we often miss when we're talking about the gospel and we're talking about the Christian hope. Much of what I've said to you here today is about you experiencing the power of Jesus today. But what will empower your life for Jesus today is to know that Jesus has eternal life all taken care of for you. When you know that heaven is your home, you can have the Christian hope. And the Christian hope is, yes, someday I will be with Jesus in heaven. But there is power to be had in the here and now. The warning I would give you is, is that when we don't think on heaven, we more easily conform to earthly things. Why are you tempted to go after the elements of the flesh? Because you're not dwelling on the heavenly hope. The devil makes you think that you only have so much time, so you got to have fun while you're here, right? That's kind of how the devil lies. But I'm here to tell you that, that the world offers many things, many hopes that are not good. And they're not even hopes at all. They're, quite frankly, they're lies, and what God is offering you is something much, much better, something called heaven. If you'll notice there, but our citizenship is in heaven. When you know that, you can live today for Jesus. D.A. Carson's, who's one of the great theological minds of our day, he speaks of seeing a tombstone. I think he was in, in, uh, in, in England somewhere, and the tombstone just said this, speaking of the deceased, heaven was in him before he was in heaven. Heaven was in him before he was in heaven. When we think about our funeral someday, you know, and on, on Resurrection Sunday, uh, you, you realize we're talking about a graveyard that gets empty, all right? So, so just keep that in mind. But when we think about our passing away, when we think about our funeral and what would be said of us, what better things could be said that, that when we spoke and when we cared for people, it was almost like some of heaven's light, some of the joy of that golden city would flow into this world, I hope you hear what I'm saying to all of you, not only those of you who are members of the church, but those of you who, who are just here as our guest. Whether you go to another church, that's great, fantastic, but wherever you go, you need to be just a little bit of heaven's light wherever you go. Don't, don't you think the world needs that? The world needs it so desperately. The world needs you. So we know that heaven is our ultimate eternal home, but what will we do to bring it to this earth? There are people in this world who try to offer hope, but as we said earlier, that hope is a lower grade of octane. Verse 21, those who love Jesus await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I love this passage because it reminds us that the Christian hope is transformation. When you are saved, hear me, I know it doesn't seem possible, but you were made righteous in Christ. And in that moment, you had access to all the riches and power and glory of the righteousness of Christ. And if you will tap into that, 
the hope that you have in Jesus, in the Lord of Lords and King of Kings will flow through you. And it is so powerful that even death cannot stand against it. The power of Jesus is a supernatural power that comes from outside of time and space as we know it. I, I, I truly believe that as we look at the world around us and as science in the last hundred years has discovered such amazing things um, at the quantum level, it's incredible how intricate the world is put together. Here's my thought. Um, that's just a hint at the beauty and complexity and glory of a place called heaven. Those little things we're seeing in the world today at the deepest levels, at the most um, profound levels of thought our minds can, can comprehend. Let me tell you, all that's doing is scratching the surface on what God has in store for his people. God is powerful and beautiful, and our hope in Christ releases us from the bondage and corruption of this world and allows us to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's what Paul says in Romans 8.21. But it's in 1 Corinthians 15.25 and 26 that some of my favorite verses are found. For there, Paul says, for he, Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. You see, the Christian hope is that we do not have to worry about death any longer. We know it's gonna have a sting, but we don't have to be overwhelmed by that. And again, in a world where there's constant change, where too often we're having to say goodbye as we put a loved one into a coffin, we need to realize that Jesus has an answer for that. And the answer isn't just a bunch of words, but it is a direct action on the part of God through Jesus Christ that he died on the cross and then on the first Easter Sunday morning rose up from the grave and death was defeated. That is the Christian hope, amen? That is why we're here. If we follow the way of the cross, we can bring resurrection life with us wherever we go in this world. And that really is my hope, that each of you today will make a commitment to take the resurrection of Jesus and take it with you. I believe, I do, I believe that it's not, it's not that we have to have either or. We, we can have amazing hope and joy in this world and have our anchor really being in the next world as well, knowing that death has been defeated. I want both. You know, at Easter lunch today, there'll probably be some pie and some cake. I want them both. <laughs> and after running upstairs to do that baptism, I'm telling you, I've burned enough calories. It's okay. <laughs> I got my jog in for the day. But I don't know. It just seems like in the church, many times there's this false dichotomy. Like you have to choose between like enjoying your life here or just, you know, putting all that and being dour and sad and enjoying your life in the hereafter, I'm, I'm just convinced we can have both. That the church, listen, there is great joy when you're serving other people. There is great joy when you're worshiping the Lord. There is great joy in true, genuine sacrifice in the name of Jesus. The reason why so many of us are so unhappy is because it's been forever since we've ever really given anything up for the other sacrificing and giving is where the joy and the hope is. And I'm challenging you this morning to walk away from anything, anything that is less than the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. 
You need the transformative power of the gospel. And I believe that Jesus is offering that. Let's think for a moment. Just one more thing. What is your hope? I want want you in your mind's eye. I want you to just try to get in, in your mind right now. What truly is your hope? Now let me ask you this question. Does your hope have an expiration date? If it's any hope that's in this world, your hope has an expiration date. And that's heartbreaking to think about. And I want to challenge you to think in this way. Because of Jesus, your hope, your greatest hope, does not have to have an expiration date. You'll live forever with Jesus. And let me say this to those of you who are in the church, and maybe your faith is just a little bit stale. It it happens. It happens to all of us. And let me ask you this. Perhaps is it possible that your hope is malnourished? That maybe over time you've been feeding on hopes that are not gospel hopes. That your energies and your efforts, they've not necessarily been evil in any sense. They've just not been Christ-centered. And I think today many people, especially in an area like Springfield, so many great churches and so many great believers, I think many times the problem is, is malnourishment. What are you feeding on? What is your hope? If you believe in Jesus, you know, you know that's your hope. That, that was your answer. But many of us just feel weak and anemic. That's what this invitation is for. It's time to go after the hope that is real and true. The hope that you need above all others. But let me revisit. We all, in a sense, our lives have an expiration date. And if we don't have Jesus as our hope, the end is not the end. The Bible speaks of, 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 a, of a punishment. I don't think we talk enough about eternal realities, heaven or hell. But let me just say this. You don't have to worry about death and hell when you have Jesus. He is the hope you can't live without. And so before you leave this room today, please, don't leave without Jesus. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.